Jesus once asked some fishermen to leave their nets and follow him. This meant they had to change their identity and their focus. They had to learn the ways of a new work, to connect their hearts to a new mission, to build new relationships, to give their time and resources, and allow a new character to be built within them. We may not be fishermen, but Jesus still calls us to and disciples us in a new life. So, will you leave your net when Jesus asks you? Well, when I was 22 years old, I was sort of thrown into the deep end of learning about what God had to say about money and money management and um, all of those kinds of things. And the reason why was because when I, was, when I turned 22, um, I was invited to come on staff with an organization called InterVarsity, which is a campus ministry. And one of the things about InterVarsity, and, and this is common for most campus ministries, and it's common for most missionaries, is that part of the job was that you had to raise your own support. So what that means is that you would essentially like go around to the people that you had connections with or that the ministry had connections with, and you would have an opportunity to kind of share about the vision of the ministry and invite them to support you. And honestly, this was terrifying for me. It was super challenging. And I did it for nine years, and it did get a little bit easier, but it still really challenged me the whole time that I did it. But one of the best things about raising support was the connections that you made with people that you would normally never meet. And one of those connections that was especially meaningful to me was an opportunity that I had to get to know some people um, in the little town next door um, that were part of a little church. And this little church um, was very, very different um, in terms culturally from the campus that I was at. So the campus that I was at was a small secular liberal arts college. And most of the people, most of the kids that came were, came from educated families. They came from the city. Um, and this little church was in a rural area. And a lot of the people were farmers and who kind of lived out in the country, but they were the sweetest, kindest people. And they were extremely generous. And every month they, would band together their church and they would have a missions budget, much like we have here, and they would support me and the ministry that I had um, at the local college um, for $150 a month. And honestly, that wasn't a huge part of my budget, but what was more important to me was just the kindness and the relationship that I developed um, as every, you know, a couple times a year, I would go visit these folks. Um, they would encourage me. They were always so delightful. Um, and one of my favorite memories of having a relationship with them is that when my daughter Bethany was born, they threw me an awesome baby shower um, and they brought all kinds of adorable little girl clothes. And it was just really fun to share life with them um, and get to know them. And the thing that I loved was that they were willing to give their money generously because many of them lived on fixed incomes and just didn't have a lot. Um, they were willing to give to something that they really believed in that they also knew that they couldn't do. They knew that um, you know, driving the half an hour to the college and being around kids that were pretty different from them, like that wasn't gonna be easy for them. But, but through their generosity, they were able to help me do that work from God. And it was a win-win for everybody. 
Well, today we are going to be talking about generosity. Um, and we are in this series right now called Leave Your Nets. Um, it's a series on discipleship and what does it mean to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And certainly a big piece of that has to do with money and generosity and how we view our stuff. And we're going to be in 1 Timothy, which is a spot where we're going to be reminded about um, giving generously and what does it mean to truly live into the kingdom in terms of money. Well, I think it's important for us to note as we go into this text that um, this church and these people that would have been reading this or circulating this letter, that they came from a fairly wide swath of um, economic um, realities. Some of them would have been slaves. Some of them would have been more middle class. Some of them would have been really wealthy and helped to do a lot of the work of supporting the church. And this part of the letter, um, the writer is, is very much focusing on what is called the rich. And um, I think you will realize as we go through this that there's a lot of truths that we can pick up on here regardless of our financial state. Um, but I do just want to remind us that we um, are living in a time historically where America is definitely in the category of rich. Now that's not to say that everybody in the United States is rich. There are pockets, right, where, there, where we are not rich. Um, but most of us historically, and just in terms of our global economy, have plenty, that we are living in a state of abundance. Now, sometimes I think we fail to remember that because we compare ourselves to other people that are super, super rich. But the reality is, is that the vast majority of us are living in a state of abundance. And so I think this scripture is very relevant to us today. So join with me here today. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17, 18, and 19. And today I'm going to read from the New English Translation um, because I like how they, how they went about it. So join with me now. Command those who are rich in this world's goods not to be haughty or to set their hope on riches, which are uncertain, but on God who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. Tell them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous givers, sharing with others. In this way, they will save up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the future. And so, and so lay a hold of what is truly life. So in this section, um, the writer is wrapping up the letter and this is sort of an end note for the letter. And, he, and the writer has talked about all kinds of things, um, false teaching, um, just general commands for folks. Um, previously in the letter, he talked about money and money management. But here he is really narrowing in on this special message that he has to do with people who are living in a state of abundance. And here's a few things that I noticed that I thought I would just share with you to kind of unpack this scripture. Um, so starting in verse 17, it really stood out to me how the writer uses the word command. Um, some translations use it twice, but this, it's this general sense that the writer is, is urging Timothy to be strong and to let the people know that are living in a state of abundance that they have work to do. And this isn't coming from a place of guilt or condemnation, but it is a strong invitation. And it's a strong invitation to generosity and to life coming from the right things. Um, one of the other things that I noticed from verse 17 is that the writer is talking about how for those of us that are wealthy, that 
wealth isn't the place that we get our hope from. That wealth is a finite thing that can easily disappear. Um, it could be a job loss. It could be tied to the economy. It could be our health, our physical health. There's lots of things that can impact our money. And the reality is, is that our wealth is something that we often don't have a lot of control over. Things happen. But the truth is, is that God is certain. And the writer is reminding these people of that. And he's also reminding them that God is the one that richly provides, that he sees the needs and he is the one that gives generously. And I feel like this is just a reminder of grace, that we live in a, an entitlement culture where it's so easy for us to be fixated on what we did or what we deserve. And the writer here is just is commanding Timothy to remind the wealthy that those in abundance, that everything is a grace and that everything is a gift. And um, that a place of humility is what's called for, especially when it comes to the throne of grace. And lastly, in verse 17, um, there's this little bit that I think is really cool, where, where we, are, we were reminded that God is the one that provides these, thing, these things for us, that it's all grace, um, but it's also for our enjoyment, okay? So um, that doesn't mean that we're to hoard it or that we're to worship it, but we're also not to abhor it, that there, um, there are gifts that we are given that we are free to enjoy. Um, we receive them, but we're not entitled to them. And so then he moves on and he talks about this, um, this context of wealth, that we are to um, have our proper hope in God, but then what are we to do? What does that look like? And he talks about what it means to be generous. So the first thing that he mentions here in verse 18 is he says, tell them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. And I think it's really important that we realize what is kind of meant by the phrase good deeds um, in that time period. Because I think for us, like, we tend to think of a good deed as, like, you know, bringing, like, a, like a meal to a neighbor or paying for the person's coffee behind us. And, like, those are definitely good deeds and they're great things to do. And I highly encourage you to do them. Um, but this, in the, in the New Testament context, this is specifically talking about the poor. That a good deed is something that is done for somebody who can't pay you back. Um, for somebody who is in desperate need. So this is a reference to... Um, giving their treasure, giving their wealth to people that really need it, that are in poverty. And then he goes on and he says this. Um, he says, not only are they to do good deeds, but they are to be generous givers, sharing with others. And this was actually my favorite part in this passage when I was studying it. What I really liked about it is that word sharing with others. It's one word in the Greek. And it comes from that same word that some of us are familiar with, koinonia. Um, and the, the thing that I really like about it is that it isn't just like sending a check or giving some money. It is those things, but it's so much more than that, that it actually refers to sharing your heart, sharing your life. Um, it's like that story of when those people in that little town supported me, that they gave me money, but it was so much more than that, that they shared their life and they shared their heart, and they shared their encouragement, and there was a joining together and a fellowship in that process. So it's not just a financial transaction, it's a connection. And lastly, as we move on to verse 19, um, Paul reminds us that as we share, as we join in that connection, um, as we share our wealth and our hearts, um, as we practice generosity, that there is something that happens where we are able to truly grab a hold of life, okay? So Paul talks about that. He uses the, the term truly life, that we grab a hold of truly life. 
And um, that word life, Zoe, is in a sense of abundance. So just as these people are abundant in resources, as they give generously, they're able to grab a hold of abundant life, the abundant life of Jesus. And this is an echo, I think, from the Sermon on the Mount, how Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 6, um, verse 19 to 21, he talks about um, laying up those treasures in heaven. And this is what he has to say. He says, do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so this is sort of a parallel passage here. Um, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. This is kind of the middle of Jesus teaching about money in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think it's really key that as we think about what Jesus has to teach about do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven, that we remember that Jesus is not just talking about the place that we go to when we die, when he's talking about heaven, but he's talking about the spiritual reality that we have access to now, where God is with us and he is guiding us to give generously and to put our hope today in the things that he values. And so Jesus is calling us, and the letter and the writer here in 1 Timothy is calling the wealthy, those living in abundance, to treasure the things that God treasures. Um, and I think it's easy as you look through the scriptures to see what does God treasure. Well, look through the Sermon on the Mount. He, he treasures the poor. He treasures humility. He treasures people. Um, he treasures his spirit and his work in the world. Those are all things that he is, he is calling us to invest in and to give generously to. Well, so we are in the process of realigning our hearts um, here in this passage when it comes to wealth um, and material goods. And I think one of the things that the writer is getting at is that as we give generously, that not only are we partnering with God's work in the world, but we are also um, given the antidote to the things that plague us in terms of materialism, that we can easily got, get caught up in anxiety and entitlement, um, wanting more, um, not being thankful, um, being all about ourselves. But as we give generously, the antidote um, is, is really that pouring out for the sake of other people. And so um, I want to transition today, as we, as we talked a little about, about the scripture, to think about like, what could that look like um, for us to give generously. And I was thinking about how in, in the scriptures, both the Old and the New Testament, there's sort of two different types of giving that are highlighted. Um, one of them, which we see a lot in the Old Testament, and obviously also in the New Testament, is this idea of giving regularly. Um, so in the Old Testament, it's often referred to as the tithe. And we know that um, in, the, in, the, in, the Jewish, um, in the Jewish people that they were expected to give between 10 and 20% um, of their harvest or their first fruits. Um, and that, that would go towards the priests and it would go towards the poor. And um, we see patterns of that in the New Testament too. I was just thinking about how in the book of Luke, um, it talks about how there's a group of women that regularly give money to provide for Jesus and his disciples to do the work. Um, so we see this pattern of regular giving throughout the scriptures. And we know that pretty much every ministry, whether it's a local church or like when I worked for college students, that they are sustained and supported by regular giving, that it's really helpful and really important. 
And I have to say that like, as, as I think about this type of giving, it's really healthy and it's really good, but sometimes it just doesn't feel as exciting, all right? So I was thinking about being a mom, and you guys know that I have two kids, they're eight and 13 right now, and um, <laughs> there's a lot of things that I pay for for my kids that are not really exciting, okay? So an example of that would be my daughter is about ready to get Invisalign, you know, like the new type of braces, right? Um, that is not an exciting purchase, but it is an important purchase. Um, and it is a healthy purchase, and it's something that will help her for the rest of her life with her bite and her, her head and all those things. Um, another example would be something like vegetables, <laughs> right? Like, it's not really exciting to buy vegetables or prepare vegetables, but it's pretty, pretty important. And I know that I want my kids to be healthy and have a good life. And regular giving is a lot like that, that there are moments of excitement, right? When my daughter takes her Invisalign off at the, in, at the end of the year and sees how good her teeth look, that will be exciting. But for the most part, it's just regular giving is sort of like the bread and the butter of giving, right? That we know that it's the healthy thing to do. It's healthy for us. It's healthy for the church. Um, sometimes we, sit, we see great dividends um, immediately, but a lot of times it's just kind of the slow and steady um, part of being a Christian and investing. And so I was thinking about, well, like what, um, what is something here at Harbor Covenant um, that is flourishing because of your generous giving? Because Harbor Covenant is a, just a really generous church. And what is something that is flourishing that maybe the congregation doesn't really see or doesn't really know about? And I was thinking about our, our youth group, okay? So my daughter's in youth group here, so I, I see a bit of it. And usually when you come on a Sunday morning, um, you definitely will look around. You'll see some awesome kids floating around. My daughter's one of them. Um, but what you might not see is what happens at youth group on Wednesday and Thursday night. And so um, Jonathan, our, our youth pastor, is just doing a phenomenal job. And he runs a youth program, the high schoolers on Wednesday, the middle school on Thursday. And what you don't see is that there are so many kids that, that come to youth group um, that you will never see on a Sunday morning, whether it's friends that were invited, um, whether it's folks that just heard about it. That I was talking to Jonathan um, just a couple days ago, and he was telling me that, that in the last month, he's had 100 kids um, come to youth group of one of the two youth groups. And a lot of those kids are kids that like, just are not really hearing about Jesus in other parts of their life. But they get to come to Harbor Covenant, um, and they get to hear about how much God loves them. They get to be in a safe environment and have fun, meet other kids, um, interact with some awesome adults and older teenagers. And it's a gift to them. And that is made possible, Harbor Covenant, because you have given generously to our church um, to help fund our youth program. So thank you for that, and thank you for the work. Um, that God is doing through your regular giving for youth in our community. So I was sort of thinking about, okay, so why wouldn't, like, what would keep you from wanting to give regularly? And of course, like, the big elephant in the room is because the church has done some pretty terrible things <laughs> with people's money, right? Like, if, if you read history, it doesn't take much. If you read the news, it doesn't take much to see that the church um, has messed some pretty big things up. And I get that. I think that that's totally legitimate um, to be upset by those things. But I was thinking specifically about, um, well, two things. One, that actually Scripture rebukes that, that all through the Old and New Testament, that God has a lot to say about people of faith who are botching other people's money, right? Like, it's, it's a pretty big deal to get that right throughout Scripture. 
Now there's grace, but we need to be really careful when it comes to accountability around money in the church. And one of the best things for me about being part of our church's leadership team is even though I am not a money person, (laughs) that I really love seeing these gifted money people that we have on our team um, who are so good at managing money. And Harper Covenant does such an incredible job being transparent with what goes on around here financially. And um, if you have questions, you can just ask. Reach out to Sajan Thomas, our chief financial officer. Um, he's happy to answer questions, and he's really open about what goes on around here. And I just, I just love that we can give and we can know that it is managed well and that, it is, it, that what we say is going to happen happens. I just think that's really, really a good reminder that, that we are honoring God with that around here. Well, the second type of giving that I wanted to talk about is something that I'm going to call fun money. Okay, so several years ago, Matt and I listened listened to this financial teacher um, who talked about budgeting, and he he talked about how everybody needs fun money. And I think that we do need fun money, (laughs) but we also need a category for giving that's fun money. Okay, so this would be something that's more like a spontaneous gift. And it's sort of like when I take my kids like out to ice cream or to the trampoline park, right? Like there's like a sense of immediate gratification. It's not braces and it's not vegetables. Like I spend that 20 bucks and they are happy and excited. And thank you, mom, in a way that's different than when I give them carrots, right? So when we give spontaneously, it sort of has that same effect that maybe we're giving to um, somebody that we can interact with face to face. Maybe we're giving to somebody in a different country that has a really specific need that we can meet. That there's something about that that is just really fun to be able to, in that moment, um, make that gift and know that it is making a difference in somebody's life. So I was talking to my friend Kathy, um, Kathy Gates. Some of you know the Gates. And they have been really involved in Youth with a Mission in India. So um, we have a signature ministry here at Harbor Covenant where we partner with Youth Youth with a Mission, which we often call YWAM um, as an abbreviation. So we partner with YWAM in India and Nepal um, just to to help them be supported and to go about the ministry that God has called them to. And Kathy was telling me that um, over the years, they've done a lot of different projects in India um, and had different visits. And they've done some really cool stuff like medical camps and teaching sewing classes. And one of the classes that they've taught is a class on biblical reconciliation, where people can come um, and learn about that from from her and Jerry. And at one point a few years ago, there was a young man named James who came to that class. Um, And at some point, Jerry had given out his email address to this young man, James, um, and they'd met him and and whatnot. And then quite a while later, um, they get this sort of random email from James. And this is back when they're in the United States. And... James basically says, hey, I'm going to university, Um, I'm going to become a missionary, and I need to go to school, and I really need a computer. Would you guys be willing to buy me a computer? And so um, Jerry and Kathy, like, they they figure it out, they ask some friends, and they're able to buy this man, James, a computer, and he's able to finish his university studies. And then, you know, time passes, and a while later, James reaches out to them, and he is now a missionary um, in Bangalore, and he's working with refugees there and sharing with them about Jesus and helping them with their practical needs. And a monsoon has gone through the refugee community and just devastated a whole bunch of houses. 
And so a lot of these refugees have nowhere to live, that they've gone from not only being refugees, which is super hard, to also not having a basic bamboo house. They are totally homeless. So he reaches out to Jerry and Kathy, and they're able to um, raise $2,500 um, amongst their community here in Gig Harbor and at Harbor Covenant um, to basically fund some new bamboo houses and also a new church um, for people that have come to know Jesus through this ministry. And so Kathy was just sharing with me like how meaningful it is um, that they are able to, to do this kind of giving. And it's not because they can do the giving, but it's because of the generosity of the people they know, of the people here at Harbor Covenant, of the people in Gig Harbor, of the people that they have connections to, where they um, can do so much more because of the generosity of the people around them. And she told me a story of how a friend of hers, like she ran into her in the Fred Meyer parking lot one day, she was telling her about some of the needs of these Indian people who are missionaries there, um, who have nothing. Um, and that friend was able just right then and there to give her some money um, to, to help an immediate need of somebody who was in poverty and um, just had something come up that they had no network, that they had no way of doing on their own. And so I just think this is a really cool example of how God uses spontaneous giving, that, um, that there are opportunities that, are, that, that we come up against sometimes in life where um, we just we would just love to give and we have um, the ability to do that and that might be with neighbors that might be with friends that might be overseas there's so many different ways um, that we could give spontaneously but it's good for us to have be open-handed and be ready and available to what my, god might want to do through spontaneous giving but i think the key is because i was thinking okay what like what keeps me from giving spontaneously well i think part of it is organization that we have to like, have our money organized enough um, to be able to, to, to be ready to give spontaneously. Um, I think the other thing is sometimes like, we just need to know the needs, right? Like maybe we're so in our world that, um, of comfort that we're not really aware of some of the needs in our world. Um, and maybe lastly, like we have a definition of fun <laughs> that's kind of self-centered and about ourselves. And God wants to transform or redefine that definition of what it means to have fun with money. Well, as I close today, I have three questions for you. The first question is to really challenge us to think about what is the foundation of where, where does the mentality of abundance come from and generosity come from? And so that is, where do you see God's abundance at work in your life? The scripture talks about God's richness, his abundance. Where do you see that at work in your life? The second question is, when it comes to generosity, what comes easily to you? Maybe you're one of those folks that is really good at giving regularly, but what's more difficult? Is it harder for you to give regularly? Is it harder for you to give spontaneously? Why is that? And lastly, what is one thing that you or your family could do this month, the month of June, to be generous, to be a generous giver and have that be a step beyond your status quo?